Ultra Tuscan Orange Grapefruit. My God, America is imploding. Welcome. We're back. It's Fan Zone. You know, that debate league we do. Some of you have seen it. It is what it is. Here we are. I'm excited. It's uh, We've got another debate match. We just finished up our rookie tournament. Um, we just finished that up two weeks ago with the final title match. Um, and now we are back into some other regular season stuff. Um, this is actually the first match, though, to find out who is going to be playing for the next title. Uh, so uh, that being said, the match is Caleb Coho versus Jim Green. And before we get into kind of how they got here, let's start introducing the judges, starting with Mr. Tuig. Nick, it's been a long time since we've been on the fan zone floor together. It has. Like, Except it hasn't, because it hasn't been. That just happened. Um, I'm very excited. I've spent the last several weeks being judged by by people. I'm excited to uh, to switch the roles, as it were. Yes, absolutely. Uh, next in is Mr. Castle himself. Hi, Doug. How are you? I'm good. A nice somber night to watch debates it shall be fun uh that head clip is totally becoming the real world just saying it's it's yeah. you're perfect perfect yeah i love it it's absolutely perfect uh next in is uh mr newberry hi cody how are you i'm grumpy that's fair that that is a that is a persona of yours that you have okay fair enough good 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 to hear i'm judged on every debate co-host lost so this should be fun <laughs> is that accurate that's accurate. <laughs> I did not know that. Um, okay, guys. Uh, so here's uh, what's going on. Jim and Coho playing. Uh, Coho, the last time we saw him, he was playing for the title at the end of last season. Um, he did lose that. <laughs> As you said, that's how he got his shot here uh, to play today. Jim Green, I honest to God couldn't tell you the last time we saw Jim Green. I think it might have also been when he played me. I, no, 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 no. He played someone at the beginning. I think he played Jacoby. He did. He played Jacoby at the beginning of this season when we were still under that other name that we don't speak of. Uh, so uh, he is uh, back uh, for another match here. Both of these guys, uh, yeah, in their last match lost, but they're looking. There's the first one, Nick. You got it. They're looking for the first, uh, the first win back into this uh, fan zone section. So let's bring them in. We'll start with Mr. Jim Green. Jim, how are you this evening? And uh, those headphones are quite large. Yeah, I know. But look, here's a here's a dog, and there he goes. Uh, he's in here with me because Jordan is taking a test. So I got the dog with me, and I'm wearing a Luca jersey, first team All NBA. So that feels good. Um, but, um, what was the question that you asked me when I came? How are you? Tired. Uh, it's 1030 and I screwed us out of the original, uh, film date. So I said, I'll make it work Wednesday, no matter what. And this is me making it work. So absolutely <laughs> beautiful. Good for you. I'm proud of you. Thank you for making it work. Oh, Let's bring in the next guy, uh, Mr. Caleb Coho, uh, your, uh, the former teammate, of uh, Mr. Jim Green in, in fandom fights. Uh, Coho, when we were creating the matchups for this, uh, and I told you you were going to be playing Jim Green, uh, you got very excited. Tell me, why are you pumped for this match? You ever seen Marriage Story? 
Yeah, we yeah. never had, we we never had our breakup fight. Uh, so I feel like this is what this is going to be. Um no, uh Jim's good at this. Uh I've had my year off uh after the after the fight with you. I was like I would like a long vacation from debate. Uh because I I love it and I hate it. It takes a lot out of me, but I'm I I feel like I'm good at it. Uh I'm good at screaming at people uh with my opinions. Uh, so this will be fun. Um, I'm rest uh, to quote to quote the Joker in a movie none of you have seen. I'm tanned. I'm rested, and I'm ready to do some damage. So, uh, what movie is that from? Batman Beyond: Return of the Joker. I mean, it's I have seen theater. it, but I didn't know that was from that. Okay, perfect. Here we go. So uh, the way that this is going to work is mm -hmm. the competitors have gotten four. Uh, categories that they've chosen, questions for those categories. Uh, they have had some time to prep those questions, and now they are going to debate them. They have one minute to open their arguments, uh, five minutes of free form, and then one minute to close the arguments. Um, the first person to three is the winner. Uh, so if it is tied two to two after the first four questions, we will go on to a bonus speed round question uh me and nick know a lot about that it is stressful so that being said we will get in to question number one right off the bat and just a reminder guys i will come in with a 10 second uh reminder of uh when uh you are you have 10 seconds left and also a minute reminder during the uh free form so uh the first question tonight is in the category of star trek chosen by mr caleb coho uh, the biggest Star Trek fan out there. And uh, his question is, who is the most useful member of the Enterprise crew? Uh, so because Caleb drafted this one, he is going to be going first. He has one minute on the clock when he starts talking. So I specified the original six movies uh, because I think that crew... Uh, has a real good chemistry, and you get a lot more time with that crew than any other crew. In uh, each of them individually, you get to see all their skill sets. You get to see who the best uh, members of the crew are. And I think the most useful member by far is Akaru Sulu. Uh, he is the pilot of the ship, but he is much more than that. He is very versatile. He can fill any role that they need him to do. Uh, he is uh, so good at his job, specifically as a pilot, that he, in the Final Frontier, flies a um, escape pod into the Enterprise hangar bay without the use of a tractor beam, which he has never done before and no one else has ever done before. They make a big point of saying that he is that good. Uh, he gets them out of more jams than ever, and he's the only member of the crew that, by the end of the six movies, is a captain. Uh, that gets promoted to be captain from under Kirk's command. He is uh, he is the heart of the ship. He is the most useful flex player on the ship, to use Jim's Green Sports analogies, and he's the best pilot in the history of Starfleet, bar none. Time. All right. So we will uh, move over to Mr. Jim. One minute on the clock when you start talking. Um, let me bring up this thing that I have. Okay. Um, I will, uh, my nomination slash my pick uh, will be uh, the chief engineer of the Starship Enterprise uh, Montgomery Scott. Uh, just to go from uh, what Caleb Coho was saying here, uh, he is uh, often called uh, the miracle worker of the Starship Enterprise. And uh, I know this is the original six movies, but I'll quote uh, an ep from an episode. I'll quote Kirk from an episode of The Apple of the original series, season two, episode nine. 
Uh, Scotty, you're my chief engineer. You know everything about the ship there is to know more than the men who designed it. If you can't get those warp engines working, you're fired. Uh, uh, Scotty, specifically on the Starship Enterprise, is the most useful crew member. Okay, giving up about 10 seconds of time there. Um, So, guys, you have five minutes of freeform. Remember, do not speak over each other. If anybody filibusters, I will come in and yell at you and make you do my laundry. So, uh, five minutes, and I will come in for a one-minute reminder when one of you starts talking. Okay, uh, so Montgomery Scott, uh, if he was the most useful, then he'd be better at his job. uh, Because... In all six movies, the biggest problem the Enterprise constantly has is the warp drive. That is the biggest problem they have. Whenever they need to get out of a situation, the warp drive isn't working. Whenever they need and to do this, that, Kelko, who, who always fixes the warp drive because he knows how... The, you can't necessarily blame Scotty for the warp drive being faulty, but you can give Scotty credit for fixing the warp drive. Except he doesn't, because if it was really fixed, we wouldn't have a problem with it in the next fucking movie. That's the thing. The thing That's is, why do mechanics never exist, because if the part was good, then it would always work? No, mechanics are there for a reason. Don't, don't give me that face. You're making the argument like, oh, if he truly fixed the part, then he, you would never need to fix it ever if he again. Was good at his job, if he was good at his job, that would never be an issue that they have to face. The thing is... The fact of the matter is, in all six movies, they keep having an issue with the warp core. It's not from anything else, except Scotty doesn't do his job right, because it keeps getting broken, or it just stops working entirely. If Scott fixed the problem that was with it, it wouldn't happen. That's the problem. Scotty's not good at his job. Scotty is incredible at his job. Uh, that is why um, not. That is why uh, Spock said in um, Star Trek for the Voyage Home, back home we call him the Miracle Worker because it's not because oh he he keeps breaking stuff. It's because he's the one that makes miracles happen when the ship needs fixing. I mean, you, if the if he's making the miracles happen, then why is it that they need a miracle the next movie? I, we're running around in this circle forever now because the problem is. Point is, he's never doing his job right because he has to keep doing it. And that means he's not the best at it. That's how an engineer works, Caleb Coho. Again, just to go to the basic analogy of a car, you're you're insinuating like the star the Starship Enterprise should never break if the job is done right when it needs maintenance and it needs to be upkept, which Scotty does. Without Scotty, there is no ship for Sulu to even navigate. Uh, the starship doesn't go anywhere without Scotty. Except that's not true because in Star it Trek is. 6, no, in Star Trek 6, The Undiscovered Country, and specifically Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan, the warp core is down, they can't warp away, and Sulu flies them through the nebula, and they win the day because of Sulu's masterful piloting. They don't have navigations or warp, and he pilots them through a nebula with no visuals to where they need to be, and they win because of Sulu's piloting. He is better at his job because Scotty couldn't do his, Sulu could still do his in the same situation. That's what I'm saying. Uh, he was better at his job than Scotty. No, but even then, you're 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 giving Sulu credit for doing his job better when he needs when it's needed when he needs to rise to the occasion. Uh, you're giving Sulu credit for that when you're not giving Scotty any credit for it. Also, but he doesn't uh, the occasion. Because he fixes it, he's the miracle worker, Caleb Coho. And so um, another point which I'd like to bring up. Uh, from, fuck, uh, in Star Trek, yep, I can't read my notes very well, uh, in Star Trek The Final Frontier, 
who is the one that breaks uh, Spock, Kirk, and McCoy out of the brig so that the crew can then uh, go and save the day? Oh, that is Scotty, not Sulu, who Sulu's on Team Sirik over there. But, you know, uh, just, you know, you can whatever. You can just forget the whole plot point that they're all mind-controlled in that one, but okay. Uh, the thing I is, mean, if Sulu was so good, then he wouldn't get mind-controlled, but whatever. Scotty was mind-controlled, too, in the same movie. They both get mind control, so your point is null. Uh, so the thing is, through all six movies, Scotty is seen having to do the same thing over and over and not being able to do it right once. That's the problem. Scotty can't fix the thing. They, he has to keep repairing the thing, and even then, he doesn't do that right. The thing with Sulu is every movie, every movie, he shows constant progression. He shows that he can do any job on the ship that they need him to, and in his specific job, he saves the day in the Rathicon. He saves the day again in the Undiscovered Country when he's the captain of his own ship, still manages to come back, break command, and save Kirk and all of them when Scotty can't fix the warp core. Uh, but also, in Search for Spock, when the Enterprise crew is stealing the Enterprise away from the Excelsior to then go and save Spock and, you know not just be their careers absolutely ruined who's the one that disables the excelsior's uh warp drive that's scotty well sulu just sits there and is like okay i'm flying us right at these space the doors same, which who the opens the movie. space doors who who opens the space doors that would be sulu. scotty in the same movie in the same movie sulu's the reason why they're able to sneak aboard the enterprise entirely scotty couldn't do his job and get on the enterprise without sulu breaking Three, them into the ship in the first two, place. one time all right um, we are going to move to, uh, Mr. Jim, I believe. And you are going to have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. Caleb Coho's whole, whole argument is that because the Enterprise constantly breaks like any other machine is going to, and, that's, uh, and that Scotty's responsibility is the upkeep of it, he uh, then does not get credit for fixing the problems. Uh, Scotty, throughout the six movies, is constantly referred to as the miracle worker because he makes the miracles happen within the ship. Without Scotty, there is no ship for the rest of the crew to even be on. Uh, Sulu is great. I'm not going to deny Sulu. If I wanted a captain on another ship, which Sulu becomes, I would pick Sulu. But the question specifically is who is more useful on the Enterprise for the Enterprise? And it's the guy that fixes the Enterprise when it needs to be fixed and knows the Enterprise better than any other person living. Okay. Finishing about 15 seconds early on that one. Mr. Coho, you now have a minute when you start talking. Yeah. Jim keeps using the word miracle worker like the movie Cats used uh, Angelical. Like, it doesn't mean anything to his argument at this point. He doesn't know what it means. The thing is, Sulu, in his movies, keeps working as a pilot, but he's able to fill in anywhere and saves them in every single situation. He's able to fill in for Kirk when Kirk goes away and still captains the ship competently. He's the only one that has given his own command because he's the only one on the ship within the Enterprise who is able to do his job and captain everyone else and fill in wherever he's needed. He breaks them back into the Enterprise in the search for Spock, in the same movie. The thing is, Scotty is stuck in his own one area because that's all he's good at. Sulu is good at everything. So to be useful to the entire crew, you have to be at least competent in every position, which Sulu shows himself to be as a pilot, as a captain, 
in Scotty's own position as an engineer. Sulu is the most useful member of the Enterprise because he can, to use your sports term, flex into any position that he needs to fill. He is the best pilot in the history of Starfleet. He gets them out of more situations than Scotty gets them into. And at the end of the day, Sulu is the most useful member of the Enterprise, bar none. Time. All right. Well, judges, it took a while, but we finally got the uh, the coho uh, very fast speaking. I love it. It's 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 on brand. It's fantastic. Okay, uh, so I am here in a completely uh, hosting uh, capacity, which is nice because I don't want to vote on this. This was a good fight. Uh, I'm going to start with Mr. Newberry once everybody has their answers written. Um. Um, so basically I think Coho almost lost this entire fight in my eyes because Coho just like, I think, I think he did what we all did was discredit Jim on this argument and not think that Jim would actually fight. And I think he fought really well. Um, I just think the closing, he Coho listed a lot of facts that were hard to counter, um, I hated that he used them all at the end because basically he talked about Sulu very little during the middle and tried to sell it as uh, whatever he... I don't even know if he knows who Sulu is. Uh, but uh, Caleb gets my first point. Okay. Uh, Nick, what about you? Um, I disagree. Koho talked a lot about what, what Sulu did. I thought he mentioned what he did in the Wrath of Khan and how he got his own ship. Um, so I, I thought Koho had mentioned things before that. Um the big knock against Scotty was the ship keeps breaking. I thought Jim countered that perfectly to the point where that argument was sort of null and void. Um, my biggest thing was Jim's arguments for Scotty were basically everyone else thinks he's great, so he must be the greatest. I didn't get to hear a whole lot of specifics on why he's useful. Uh, even when he tried to say he breaks him out, he doesn't get mind controlled. And Koha was like, well, well, he does get mind controlled in that movie too. Um, so I just heard more specific uh, examples from Coho, which is why I might point this Okay, so Coho gets the first point. Uh, Doug, you did not get to vote on this one. Where would you have gone and why? Uh, I would have went uh, Coho as well. Um, I think he hit more along the line of why uh, why um, Sulu was uh, the most useful member all over. You know. Okay. All right, sounds good. So uh, Coho gets the first point. The uh, first question. So we are going to move into question numero two, which is drafted from Mr. Jimothy Green uh, in the category of comedy. And the question is, what is the best quote from a Christmas story? Uh, you will sense a theme here today when we get to Jim Green's next topic. Uh, but yes, uh, what is the best quote from a Christmas story? Jim, you drafted this, so you get to start one minute when you start talking. Uh, as someone who has watched A Christmas Story at least once a year on Christmas Eve uh, every year since I was uh, probably four or five years old, uh, needless to say, uh, I've seen this movie at least 50 times. Uh, so there's, and so for someone like me, there is a lot of quotes to pick from, but I went with the one quote that I think sticks out above the rest of them, which is usually uh, the one that everyone relates with the movie specifically, and that is you'll shoot your eye out, referring to uh, Ralphie wanting a Red Ryder BB gun, and that is the response he gets from his mother, his teacher, Santa at the mall, 
uh, and uh, the Wicked Witch of the East in a uh, in a kind of like dream sequence after his teacher tells him on a paper that he will shoot his eye out. So uh, yeah, that is uh, my pick. You'll shoot your eye out. Okay. All right. We will now move over to Mr. Coho. Coho, what is your pick for best quote from A Christmas Story? Unfortunately for Jim, the question is best, not most iconic. Uh, so I went through uh, the movie and found the film's best line, uh, one that I think encapsulates everything you need to know about the film, its tone, its style, everything you need to know about the movie is summed up in this one line. Only I didn't say fudge. I said the word, the big one, the queen mother of dirty words, the F dash 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 word. That line right there tells you everything about this family. It tells you about Ralphie. It tells you everything you know about these people. It tells you that this family is uh, is very traditional. They're the kind of family that believes that you go to church on Sunday. You don't say any bad words. They're the all-American nuclear family. And Ralphie breaks the mold from that. And that's what this movie is about. It's at its core, Ralphie on Christmas wanting something that he can't have. And I think this quote puts this whole thing into perspective in the best way. It's unique. It's funny. It sums up the movie's entire st Three, uh, tone, story, two, and heart. One time. Okay. So uh, I'm not going to be able to repeat Coho's quote. Um, so I'm not going to even try that. But uh, the shoot your eye out in Coho's five minutes on the clock. When one of you start. Uh, so Caleb Coho, you, uh, I feel like you actually haven't even seen a Christmas story because um, the, this point of the move, the quote that you're referring to, uh, I went and timed it today. It comes in at 41 minutes into the movie and the ending of the dream sequence that Ralphie has about the soap blinding him uh, ends at 46 minutes and 30 seconds. So this quote takes up, about five and a half minutes of screen time, whereas the first time the line "You'll shoot your eye out" is uttered in the movie is seven minutes and fifty-eight seconds by his mother. I didn't. I didn't realize that we were picking the line that is said the most in the movie, Jim. Uh, here's uh, no. the problem with your. Hold on. Here's the problem with your quote. The problem with uh -huh. your quote is that it doesn't tell me anything about your movie except. Oh yeah, that's the movie that that's from. It's iconic. But the thing is, there's nothing special about that line. There's nothing unique about that line. It's a general warning that is repeated over and over and over, and it's not that great as a line. Yes, because it drives the narrative of the entire movie. His mother, his teacher, uh, even... So his mother and his teacher both tell him, you'll shoot your eye out. You, there's no way you're getting this for Christmas. So he goes... So Ralphie says, I know what I'll do. I'll ask Santa. So he goes to Mall Santa, and what does Mall Santa say? Go shoot your eye out, kid. And then that, so you have this whole movie of everyone in this kid's life telling him, you'll shoot your eye out. There's no way you're getting this. And then his dad is the one that's like, oh, I, you know, I had it as a boy, so my dad gave me one. So I got it for, I got it for Ralphie. Here's the and problem. With, the problem again, though, with your line is that the line itself is not unique. The line itself does not tell me anything about your movie. You get that from watching the film, the context of the movie. The work, the line works fine in the context of your movie, but the line itself, the best line that sums up what this movie is, is my f dash 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 line. It gives you the tone, the heart, the story. It gives you everything you need to no, know about does. this movie. No, it doesn't. Absolutely, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. You, you, in your opening. 
you said stuff you said stuff about how this this family is like traditional and yeah. they wouldn't say uh they're not for cussing and blah 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 the only one that's not for cussing is the mother this the dad if you have actually seen the movie and remember the movie ralphie speaks earlier in the movie about how is when his father is fighting the furnace he would his cuss words he would use like van gogh would use paints so the dad when his dad is on his own sure but the thing again the dad is still part of this traditional nuclear family this family the dad stands by and lets ralphie get soaked so he obviously has no issue with this he thinks that he's being punished correctly so at the end of the day your point null and void makes no sense again what your your argument for your line is oh you know what it is you heard it in the movie you heard it everywhere else but again the problem is best not most iconic your line's iconic it's not even a good line it's There's iconic nothing special it's about best. how it's said or anything there it's plenty there's plenty special about it because they change up the way it said every single time it said the first time it's an offhand comment from his mom the second time the second time you hear it oh no actually the second time you see it is when the teacher writes it on the teacher writes it on the paper the third time you see it uh, you hear it is immediately next when the vision of his mother dressed up as like a harley quinn and the wicked witch of the east are like mocking him with it and then you hear santa say it in a whole another way this line is versatile and it drives the whole narrative of the movie and the story and the plot yours is a fun little oh yeah this traditional family and oh don't don't you remember when you said fuck when your dad was around and you got in trouble for it the first time yours is yours is just like oh it's relatable and blah 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 but what does it do in the movie outside of that five minutes it's a fun little vignette in a movie that has a bunch of vignettes that are connected by you'll shoot your eye out Again, your line is not special. Again, you're not One telling us anything about your line that makes it special. You're saying, oh, it's said. It's a line that's said a lot in a lot of different ways. But again, it doesn't meet, change the meaning of what it means. The line it's is said good. over and over and over. Everyone says it. Oh, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. It's like that every time. The thing is that line means nothing except it drives the except plot. It drives, yeah, exactly. It drives the plot. Your the line is, the actually line means is not nothing. Special. That doesn't make it good. You're, but your line actually means nothing because just like Ralphie's vision except of when he's, when he's shooting the robbers in his original vision, like him eating breakfast, dreaming about having the gun so he could shoot robbers coming in, is the same. it has the same importance as your line. It just... It's that little scene just drives it to, oh, here's another of the like dream vignettes Ralphie has about the going dash 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 word line is more important than yours. It sets the entire theme and tone of the movie. It sets that this entire movie going. Eye out. No, it isn't. You'll shoot your it's eye out. 41 minutes into the movie. 41 minutes into the movie doesn't drive the movie. Time, time, time. Nice try to filibuster at the end, bud. I am having a nightmarish flat flashbacks to fighting Koho. Okay. Uh, Koho, you get to close first. One minute when you start talking. If Jim Green didn't follow us, or you'd actually get to hear me uh, argue my points. Uh, so the thing about F dash 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 word is again, Jim wants you to think it's a throwaway joke. It's the most memorable joke in this movie. It's the joke that, puts you right back into that place. It's the most relatable line. It makes you sit there and feel like the first time you said the F word. It instantly lets you connect to this family, understand their dynamics, understand their politics, their beliefs, everything about them. It helps you fundamentally get inside what these characters do and understand who these characters are as well as the world we're living in, the tone, the story, the style, the substance. Everything about this movie can be summed up by the F dash 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 word line. That's literally everything you need. 
Jim's arguing the most iconic line, but the thing at the end of the day, that line is said multiple times and is almost becomes like Jellicle in the movie Cats. I'll use it again because Jim likes picking repetitive things that mean nothing. At the end of the day, this line is iconic because it's said by 12 different people, but at the end of the day, the line itself is not special. It's not unique. It's just the most quoted thing in the movie because it's the most said thing in the movie. Four, My line's the best one conceptual level tells you everything two, you know about the movie. One, that line is stupid. Time. All right, Mr. Jim, one minute to close when you start talking. Uh, so Coho's uh, Coho keeps driving home this point that his line of his line about F dash 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 sets this tone about the movie. But it comes 41 minutes into the movie, which is about halfway. We've already established the family just by the scene about because all of the leg lamp stuff comes before this. So you already know the values of this family and the mother and how this family works and their dynamic. And this this scene just immediately from this scene, it just cuts away to the boys running away from the bullies and then them giving presents, Christmas presents to the teacher. Coho... Uh, Yoshu tryout drives the whole story, the whole narrative of the movie, and Coho's uh, Coho saying that this uh, this his line defines the movie. If you took that same line, I didn't say that. I said the f dash dash dash. If you put that in like the Sandlot and said, and Smalls was saying that to his stepdad, that would also work for that movie. His line doesn't really need to be in that movie, whereas Yoshu tryout mm-hmm. is yeah. a part of a Christmas time. Movie. Okay, all right. Let's uh let's bring in Dem Judges. Welcome to uh, Noah Bombach's marriage story. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> All right, uh, Doug, is every, does everyone have their vote written down? Yeah. <laughs> like th- two minutes in. <laughs> yes, basically. Okay. I so, think this was designed a long time ago. We're all good. We're all voted. Okay, yeah. Doug, we're going to start with you because your vote did not count last time. Uh, yeah, Um, I tried to pick out who fought best for the question, best quote. Uh, uh, Jim hit Coho kind of in his argument where Coho's like, mine is the narrative of the movie. You take it, you get the spirit. And then Jim hit him with, your line doesn't come in until like halfway through the movies and we already know who the parents are. Uh, we know the family is. Uh, give me what Jim. Okay, uh, we will go to uh, Mr. Newberry next. Where are you going? So this did not sway my vote, but when somebody says best quote and one person can't quote their damn quote the entire time, it's not F dash dash dash. That's not a quote from the movie. You literally just said the indie part of it, and it drove me fucking batty. But that had no sway on it, because you can't easily quote a film if you don't know your own quote. The fact is that I think it was just bullshit. When Koho doesn't know a thing very well, he just bullshits the entire time, and you can finally smell it out in this one, because... Jim basically combated everything about saying that this one part tells everything you need to know about said people, and you know it prior. He brought in this closing. Jim gets my point by a landslide. Okay, so Jim gets point number two. Nick, you did not get to vote on this one. Where would you have gone and why? Uh, all right, so for, for very similar reasons, uh, they, they were sort of arguing different things as to what the best quote means. Uh, which is fine. Like, I think that's part of the argument. you got to convince me, like, what what does that mean to have the best quote? And Koho was sort of arguing for like what it means for the film, like for someone who hasn't seen the film. And Jim was sort of arguing for what it does for the film in the film. And at the end of the day, I think Jim sort of, when he explained like who the dad is and things like that, it sort of made Koho's logic of what that quote means not make a whole lot of sense to me. So I also want to 
Okay. So uh, Jim uh, gets point number two, clean sweeps for both uh, questions so far. Uh, Say what you will about Mr. Coho. If he doesn't know something well, he is very good at throwing things. Uh, Okay. Uh, That's why I love him. Okay. But question number three is a Coho picked category. So let's see what happens. It is the category of Oscars, regular old Oscars. Uh, The question is, what best actor or actress winning performance from the 2000s doesn't hold up? So again, what best actor or actress winning performance from the 2000s doesn't hold up? Uh, Coho, like I said, you drafted this. You are going to get yep. to start on this one one minute when you start talking. I'm going to take it back to 2009. A year where we could have movies like The Hangover come out and quote it all the live long day. Thanks a lot, Bin Laden. Today, that stuff does not fly and uh, take that how you will. But at the end of the day, Best Actress at the Oscars went to Sandra Bullock for playing a southern accent version of herself in The Blind Side. We gave her an Oscar for playing Karen, who picks up Michael Orr on the side of the road and literally only gives him a home because football. Because he's good at it. It's a, let's ride that money to train to the station. But Sandra Bullock's performance alone doesn't do anything. Her performance is not good. She's just kind of being herself, but a Southern accent. There's nothing special about what Sandra Bullock does that deserves her the best actress of 2009. It makes no sense. It's not, it's not a great performance. And at the end of the day, it's nothing groundbreaking. It's nothing out of her range. It's nothing that we haven't seen her done before. At the end of the day, Sandra Bullock is just being Sandra Bullock with a Southern accent. She didn't deserve an Oscar for that. Not in a year that includes so many great performances. Okay. Uh, We'll bring in Mr. Jim. Jim, one minute to start this when you start talking. I'm glad Caleb Coho brought up uh, the year that had so many great performances because my year also had uh, not as many great performances, but had uh, a great performance. Uh, I'll take you to 2003. Uh, A movie based on a Disney ride has come out and Johnny Depp, who is uh, not that great, has given a amazing performance as a as a guy that's just in that ride uh, as Captain Jack Sparrow. Oh, and he does not win the award. Uh, it goes to Sean Penn for screaming really loud and uh, it, that it, asking if it's his daughter in there and then uh, crying a bunch uh, about his daughter that was in there. Uh, Sean Penn and Mystic River. Uh, he just really, it's like, it's not a lot of layers to it. It's just really highs and lows, especially when you do look at uh, Johnny Depp's like Captain Jack from that year that should have won the award, which is a much more right. layered performance compared to Sean Penn's Three, in Mystic River. Two, one, tie. Uh, I am so excited. Okay, five minutes when you guys start talking. Uh, your definition of more layered is a drunk Keith Richards impression. Good job. Sean Penn in Mystic River is giving a super layered performance as a, this gangster connected man who we should not root for. But at the end of the day, you feel for him. He makes you feel that pain. When he's screaming, is that my daughter in there with the tears? He is literally selling you on this emotion. He puts you right where you are in his place and you are devastated and you believe it. The difference between your performance and mine is my performance should have never won. It's nothing that pushes him. Sean Penn is pushed by that performance. Uh, I completely disagree. Like Sean, he's just As like, he, 
hey, fuck you, Coho. <laughs> he, um, he, Sean Penn, it, it's really, he's not really pushed. He's just doing, he's just crying. He cries a lot. He screams a lot. That's really all there is to it. And your assertion, that's what I was trying to think of earlier. Assertion that Sandy B is just being Sandra Bullock in, uh, I think more of, when I think of Sandra Bullock as a person, you think of more miscongeniality, not the blind side. Uh, I do agree with you that it's kind of like a Karen performance. But again, in that year, who's going to win? Who's going to win the award that year? Carrie Mulligan? No. It's like, no. Exactly, Coho. Uh, literally, literally, you have a year that includes Anna Kendrick up in the air. You also have Meryl Streep and Julie and Julia. You also have, uh, her name is so hard to pronounce, so I'm not going to say Gabriella Sidera, I think is what it is, from Precious, who should have won. Uh, there are too many performances in that year that are actually doing things that change the landscape of acting that we gave it to a phoned-in performance from Sandra Bullock, who is doing nothing but putting on a Southern accent. She's playing the exact same character she is in Crash, just a little bit less racist and Southern. That is the difference. Your Sean Penn performance is the defining Sean Penn performance for his career. That is the Sean Penn performance for Completely a reason. Completely disagree. Completely what are you going to pick? If nope. you wanted, hold on. Okay, that's what I was about to say. You wanted to pick the real phone. If you wanted to win, you picked Sean Penn and Milk, where he is playing a character who all the gaps that you're filling in are stereotype. He's filling in the gaps from what we know publicly with stereotype. Mystic River, he is creating a new character that is able that to put seen, you in a place. We've seen in a, in a million movies before where it's just, oh, we've hey, seen, what? Okay. okay, where have we seen a performance like Sandra Bullock other than your, oh, it's just Crash. 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 I literally already answered your question. She is, bet that's the character Sandra Bullock plays in Gravity. She plays the exact same character in everything. Sandra Bullock doesn't do anything different. She plays the same character in Speed that she does in The Blind Side. The difference is she's Southern. That is her big twist. John Penn has never played the character he's played in Mystic River before. And he is so emotionally devastating to watch because you get to see this dissension of this father as he starts dying inside at the thought that he failed. And this is a character that you can see is despicable. You don't want to root for this guy, but he makes you root for him anyway, through and through, where you feel his pain. You believe his pain. If you wanted to win, you pick the Sean Penn Milk performance, which is the phoned-in performance that he puts in this year, and won an Oscar in a year that had Philip Seymour Hoffman in doubt. You picked the wrong Sean Penn performance from this decade. I picked the best performance that is the worst to win Best Actress. Sean, Sean Penn going to different levels, uh, as you say. It's just milk, mi the, the same thing of Mickey Rourke and The Wrestler to where we just saw, like, which Sean Penn, like, which, you know, gone for a long time, had a lot of personal issues, and then came back with a with a role. And then everyone, the yes. only difference is everyone, like, woke up and was like, okay, Mickey Rourke, you know, whatever. But Sean Penn should not have won over, over Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp is the one that had the actual great performance that year. And that was the one that deserved. And then you saying, oh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Meryl Streep and Julia and Julia. It's like, where she oh, plays two people? Yes. Uh, it's like, okay, Meryl, Meryl Streep is just like, uh, it's it's a Meryl Streep nomination, Look, whatever. The Jim, only, the, the only the real argument you fight, have is the pressure. The point of this fight is that you are trying, you are trying to argue that Sean Penn's performance should not have won an Oscar. That performance is an Oscar-worthy performance. You can say Johnny Depp should have won, but again, at the end of the day, 
You put Sean Penn in any year, he probably still wins because he is giving one of the best performances of the decade. He's putting you into the place of the character where you feel his pain. That's a great performance. He is pushing himself from somewhere he's never been. You would have, ne I could have never told you the guy from Fast Times Average High could have played this part. Spicoli could have never done this, and then he does. That's the problem. Sean Penn is giving the best performance of his career, a, a career-defining performance. Sandra well, Bullock I mean, is phoning it you... in with a Southern accent and doing what she does in everything, and we went, "Oh, Sandra Bullock doesn't have an Oscar. Give it to." Miss congeniality again. I mean, when you when you pick when you pick Fast Times at Ridgemount High, I mean, I can go, oh, the chick from Demolition Man could never play Leanne Tui and win an. Except Oscar. she does the same Fine. performance. All right. Fuck you, <laughs> Strike that from the record. I'm sorry. I stood up to get a drink and uh, I got disoriented. Okay, uh, Jim, you are going to be going uh, first with your closing one minute when you start talking. Coho's argument that Sandra Bullock's performance has uh, aged the worst, I would say, uh, is that it's just, San is is he's using the political climate of going, oh, it's just a Karen. It, she's just playing Karen and it's the same thing she always does. Uh, Whereas you don't really, you haven't really seen a performance like that since her, and like he's gonna go, oh, gravity, but whatever. Uh, Sean Penn, it feels like it feels like a Gone Baby Gone or something, but or any anything that Ben Affleck plays now, uh, which are just better performances. Which when you watch something like Gone Baby Gone, which is amazing, watch Casey Affleck in it, and then you watch um, Mystic River, it just doesn't hold up as well. And that is my argument. I'm done. <laughs> You can have my time, Tim. <laughs> okay, 15 seconds early. Uh, Mr. Coho, you now have one minute when you start talking. If Jim wanted to win, he picked the wrong Sean Penn performance because Sean Penn phones it in in milk and Mr. Griffith, he's giving the best performance of his career, doing something that no one could ever see him do. He's going to go, oh, well, if you, you pick any performance from Sandra Bullock, she's playing the same character in Demolition Man that she plays in Speed, that she plays in The Blind Side, that she plays in The Heat, that she plays in Gravity, that she plays in Bird Box. It's all the same. Sandra Bullock doesn't do anything new in her performance that changes and defines her as an Oscar winner. She is literally putting on a Southern accent and yes, her character is shit, but we're talking about performances. And at the end of the day, Sandra Bullock is just being Sandra Bullock with a Southern accent. You can't even knock it. That's what she's doing. And the thing is she's not doing anything to change and anything in that year. She's not better than anyone in her year. And that's the problem. You can say Johnny Depp should have won. I'm again, Johnny Depp is doing Keith Richards. The thing is, John Penn and Mystic River is putting you in the place of that character. You are devastated. You are heartbroken. When he does scream, is my daughter in there? You feel it. You cry with him. That is a performance that is worthy of an Oscar. Sandra Bullock, you don't feel anything when you watch her perform. You just laugh because she gets to say, fuck Two, off, Gerald. One time. All right. Uh, I have not seen Mystic River, uh, so I have a feeling that the daughter dies. Great. I'm glad that was spoiled. Uh, okay. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Tim. Oh, sorry. It happens pretty quick. All right. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Can you just tell me what the question was? Yikes. Okay. We're going to start with Nick because. No, can you tell me what the question was? He's actually asking what the phrase of the question You are asking me the exact. Let me pull that up. The question is exactly, as I scroll through this chat again, the question is exactly. Which Oscar winning? What? Yes. Which, which best actress, 
best which best actor or actress winning performance from the 2000s doesn't hold up thank you okay no. we are going to start with nick uh, have we all voted yes. So yes we are going to start with nicholas his vote did not count last time nicholas where are you leaning i think cody and i are on the same wavelength because i'm very confused um <laughs> Not a single word was uttered about why these performances don't hold up um, until the closing. The whole fight was, um, this performance is, is good. It was bad at the time. Uh, other performances could have won. I, none of that told me why the performance didn't hold up. So literally what I'm basing it on is the fact that Jim conceded that, you know, when he said he'll say gravity, but whatever, that that. It wasn't a good like uh, comeback as to why gravity um, wasn't going to or what wasn't a valid point. Um, so, and Coho told me why Sean Penn's performance is still the best in his career, um, and how Sandra Bullock's done a lot of similar things since then, which is why I'm going with Coho. But yeah, most of that fight, I was very confused. Okay, uh, we are going to go to Doug next, Douglas. Where are you leaning on? Uh, yeah, I don't think the question was argued well, but I mean, same as Nick, kind of. Uh, I gave my point to Coho because that was the only one that kind of mentioned anything about the question a little bit. Okay, so the point goes to Coho. Uh, I did not hear, or I'm sorry, Cody, you did not get to voice your opinion. Where are you leaning on? Uh, Jim did a perfect strategy. Fight my fight and make you pissed off and fight. It's a completely wrong argument. It's Jim Green by a mile. Coho never she argued any of the facts. Never any of the facts. She was he literally, she was he, this is not your time. Uh, excuse okay. you. My turn to talk. You sit there, shut your mouth, because I heard you fight the wrong fight for um, seven minutes. He brought up Pirates of the Caribbean, and he literally just went one track mind and never fought anything. Jim was brilliant at it. He didn't, he didn't have to, basically. He brought up points. And Coho just kept arguing the points that weren't the question, wasn't the question, but it didn't uh, matter. So. Yeah. All right. So uh, in the end, uh, Coho does get the point. Um, so we are moving on to question number four, which uh, is the uh, one that I alluded to earlier. Uh, Jim Green loves. What could be the theme of this one? <laughs> loves Chris. Oh uh, the question is in the category of Disney, and Jim Green's question is. Other than Tim Allen, who gives the best performance in the Santa Claus trilogy? So, uh, Jim Green, you drafted this. You're going first. One minute when you start talking. Uh, so, for this one, uh, like A Christmas Story, uh, haven't seen it quite as long because, you know, they came out a little bit later. But... I have I do watch these movies every year except for the third one that we don't talk about, which um, we'll talk about it coming up. Uh, but I picked Plastic Tim Allen. I'm kidding. Uh, I went with uh, Elizabeth Mitchell from the Santa Claus two and three. Um, Elizabeth Mitchell is uh, she is giving given most of the heavy lifting acting wise. Uh, in the second one, she's not in the third as much uh, because her just being sad is kind of like um, just the plot point of the third movie. But the middle one is about um, Santa needing a wife, and she gives a very great performance of going from the kind of like bitchy high school principal 
that nobody likes. And then you kind of see what makes her her. And then you see that kind of transformation of, oh, she could act, she'd actually be the perfect wife for um, Tim Allen, Scott Cowell. Time. Okay. Uh, we are going to move over to Mr. Coho, who has one minute when he starts talking. The best performance in this entire trilogy that's not Tim Allen is Martin Short as Jack Frost in Santa Claus 3. It's because he's the only one that's doing something that's not a cardboard performance. Martin Short as Jack Frost is both maniacal, diabolical, conniving, the worst, like Loki pre-Loki. But when you talk to him and he's talking to the people around the shop, he is whining and dining Alan Arkin and his wife. He is owning everyone with this very charismatic charm and he crushes that performance martin short brings both charisma as well as this kind of demented unhinged psychophant sycophantic man manic evil side to him that when everyone else is gone he lets out and every now and then when you rile him up i am jill he is the only one in his performance who is giving something new, something different throughout all three that is very entertaining and very enjoyable to watch through all of that third movie. He's the best part of his movie, and he's the most memorable thing in this trilogy besides plastic donkey dong Tim Allen that we can't argue about. But uh, Martin Short, for the win, best performance of the trilogy. Time. Okay, uh, let us uh, bring in Mr. Jim again. Guys, you have five minutes freeform when one of you... The problem with uh, your character, uh, your actress, uh, Elizabeth Mitchell, mm -hmm. uh, she's bitchy. That's it. Her character is bitchy and then sad. And there's no in-between. There's no growth for this character. And when there we get the three, any growth, that you, any growth that you are told that you got in the script is thrown away where she gets sidelined to be sad for an entire movie, which ruins the overall performance for her trilogy. Um, I completely disagree uh, that, uh, again, I don't know if Caleb Coho has actually seen these movies or not, movies. but she begins as you see her, the first time you see her is when Charlie paints this picture of her in the, and you see that bitchy portrait, and then you see her, she climbs the ladder, you see her face looking at him, and then as you go through the movie, you get to see more and more what makes her tick. Because she starts out when when they go to scrape paint off the walls, you can see Tim, you can see Scott kind of like getting in touch with her, and then the problem, it though, keeps building up. Yep. The problem though is even though that you're you're told by the script she's changed, she doesn't show you that she's changed. Yes, her she performance does. does. No, she doesn't. Her performance yes, she is does. A permanent RBF. Her performance is in permanent RBF. She does not change in Again, her seen the or anything. Santa Claus 2 is my favorite fucking Christmas movie. Sit down. The have problem with this trilogy, She is not resting bitch face all the time. Uh, starting, starting from when he starts to court her, and then you get the story about Baby Doll and why she doesn't believe in Santa, which brings back from the first movie of why Neil and Laura don't believe in Santa. It's because she had the one Christmas present that she didn't get when that she was heartbroken, and she's showing that emotion of not getting that Christmas present. If we are arguing like, the best like script, if we are arguing the best script of the three, you win with Santa Claus too, but the problem is the performance isn't doing anything. She is an actress yes, is. not doing, no, she's not. The problem with this actress is she's not doing anything with her performance to tell you what you're saying. You're getting this through the plot telling you. People have to tell you she's changed. Speaking she does not show you she's changed okay, her performance. Speaking of the plot telling you that it's evil, you have com you wanted to say, oh, Martin Short's not the a cardboard performance. He's just like he's doing not. a phone, he, he's like doing a phoned in SNL character that's like, that, that performance in that whole movie i would rather like an watch an snl, SNL manic performance than a cardboard rbf character that doesn't do anything jim here's the she, thing with jack frost 
She, your Jack, Jack Frost in that movie has nothing. He's he's just black coho talk. Jack Frost in his movie is the most dynamic performance of those characters. Your character, your performance doesn't do anything in Santa Claus 2. That's the problem. The problem is you are told through the script and the plot that she's changed. But she keeps showing you the same RBF emotion in everything. This actress doesn't know what she's supposed to convey. She tells you what's written on the page, but she doesn't show it. That's the problem. Jack Frost shows you in every scene how maniacal, how crazy this fucker is. Where, oh, let's get him to do the snow globe. And he, like, convinces and coerces Tim Allen to come into the snow globe room. And he's like, what if? And he's like, this super snaky performance where he's like, well, what if you did this? And then he gets him to do it. That's the thing. Yeah, His performance is believable. No, it's it reads as Robbie Rotten from Lazy Town. Like that's why the third one is the like abortion that nobody wants to talk about of the trilogy, to where it's like Fucking nobody yikes. wants to talk about this because it's like this that the villain is terrible. He gets he gets transformed into good at the end because Lucy gives warm hugs. That he still loses. Up. This is a Nickelodeon Lazy Town Nick Junior episode, and his performance. You're saying, oh, the script tells you that. Well, the script is the only thing. To Telling me that Jack Frost or Martin Short is supposed to be like evil because the problem is that just... is an incorrect statement. The problem is Jack Frost in his performance and the things that he adds to that character show you he's evil. The way that he talks to Tim Allen and Alan Arkin and shows you that he's like, I am super nice, I'm super charismatic. But then the moment when Lucy's like, you need to be more chill, I am chill. You see him switch on a dime, you see this character. Over the course of this movie, able to One show minute. different dynamics with different characters and manipulate them. Elizabeth Except Mitchell is the same performance through both no, movies. It's not. He, you're just you're saying it. Uh, you well, you said Elizabeth Mitchell is just sad in the third one. Now you're saying it's the same movie, so you're going back on your own argument. But you're you're saying that Elizabeth Mitchell's just rest, resting bitch face the whole thing. Martin Short's the same, doing the same thing. Oh, it's oh, here I am, comically nice around the elves, and then I'm gonna do this evil thing. I'm gonna do this comically evil thing. You compared them to. To Tom Hiddleston's Loki, it's not even close. I mean, they both both are kind of blue and kind of frost giant-y for the movies. So okay. The problem is, at least my performance, at least my performance, at least my performance is something different with an actor who is trying to do things. He's Elizabeth trying Mitchell to show does. you different You're sides to a character. Your character isn't trying anything. Bitch. Yes, she is. She, you see her convey go from that just bitch no, the entire don't. movie, and then she, you see one the Christmas party. She starts to soften up, and then Scott's like oh by the way i'm santa and she's like okay this isn't cool you're an asshole get out and then you see charlie win her over and Fine. then that, she's in that is the rest of the movie Three, she's the same level of angry in that movie time okay uh coho you are going to get to uh close first on this one you have one minute when you start talking Every example Jim keeps giving you about Elizabeth Mitchell is something that is told to you by other characters throughout the script. She says, oh, uh, that's not cool. She doesn't say, that's not cool. She does, that's not cool. Every single scene, every single performance in this second movie is all resting bitch face. It's all angry. It doesn't change. She is supposed to be happy, and she still comes off resting bitch face. And in the third one, she's resting bitch face, but depresso and pregnant. The problem is Martin Short is doing something different. He's showing you different layers of conniving, evil, cynical, 
happy, laughter. He's able to wine and dine the good guys while also manipulating them into doing what he wants. And the people who see his true evil side aren't believed because he's all charismatic. That is a character with multiple dimensions. He's a character that wants to be Santa and shows that he has the skills to be Santa, but not the heart. And he puts that in every essence of this performance with every person he talks to when he fucks over the elves, but is able to wine and dine the humans that he's supposed to be treating. He's perfect in his performance, whereas Elizabeth Mitchell is doing the resting bitch face thing for both movies. She's not a character, she's a caricature. Time. I now know what RBF means. I was confused before, but now I understand. Okay. Uh, Jim, are we back? Okay, Jim, you now have uh, one minute to close your argument when you start talking. Uh, Coho keeps trying to drive home the fact, uh, and he's trying really hard and it's not really succeeding, uh, that Elizabeth Mitchell doesn't ever show any emotion, but Martin Short is giving this like nuanced, amazing performance when Elizabeth Mitchell is at least going from that resting bitch face to that little bit of care in the middle where at the Christmas party in the middle of the movie to back to like, Scott, this isn't cool. You need to like leave. And then once she sees the magic of the globe, which is part of the which is the driving thing throughout the movie. And then the third, the Globes, she like becomes this happier character again. Whereas Martin Short in the third movie, which is why the third movie is so terrible, is like I said, it is a Nick Jr. lazy town performance. Coho keeps trying to say like it's some, it's like amazing and nuanced, but it's literally like, it's, ooh, I'm so, I'm so clever. I'm so bad. And then I'm so mean and evil. Look at me. And it, at no point is it any kind of nuance. It's just it's just Nickelodeon, Nick Jr., bad guy level bad. There's nothing about it. It's on one lane. Time. Okay. We'll bring in Dem Judges. Um, Cody, your vote did not count last time. You get to go first on this one. Once everybody has written down their choice. And again... Jim needs this to go to the speed round. <clears throat> so yeah, this is more back and forth. I I hate when like we just repeat ourselves the entire fight, like the entire thing. Because like I think Elizabeth Mitchell, I think she is resting bitch face in this movie. I'm I'm thinking that's what I got from this. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I heard it a lot. But I didn't hear any other counterpoints, really, that she, besides, besides she does resting bitch face the entire movie. And then Jim battled back and said, no, she doesn't. Here's what she does. And then Coho would yell back, she has resting bitch face. Jim. Okay. Uh, we are going to go to, we're going to go to Doug next. Okay. Uh, I thought a little bit of the opposite. I thought that he explained why she had, you know, didn't evolve from the character. Uh, it was kind of just the same thing uh, where, you know, it was dead pans of the lines delivery. Uh, I kind of stuck with me when Koho said that during the argument, I didn't hear Jim really battle against that part. Um, and then I explained a little bit why Martin short was this kind of like, fun villain kind of like uh add a layer of complexity to it uh i went co okay so nick uh jim's fate is in your hands where are you leaning in why well Coho's fate is also that's accurate in the fate of the duel of the fates is here the fate of the match is in your hands where are you in my hand um uh, i agree 
with some of the things that Cody said about it being a lot of repetitiveness. Um, the majority of the fight was on, um, sorry, her name, Elizabeth Mitchell. Elizabeth Mitchell. The majority of the fight was whether that was a good performance or not. Um, I would say like 80% of the fight was, was on her, and then 20% of it was on um, Martin Short. Um, but Jim gave me all I really need to hear about Martin Short and that it's cartoonish. It is not akin to the great villains that that Coho uh, had mentioned, and he really sold me on how um, Elizabeth Mitchell's performance goes different places. Like you hate her at the beginning, and then by the end, like you you feel for her. Um, the screen, the whole the script did that for me, or the whole script argument did that. Not the performance didn't really work for me because it was countered and used the same. Well, the script told Jack Frost to do these things, um, but it was Elizabeth Mitchell that sold it. So I'm going to go with him. All right, so uh, that means we have a tie game. Uh, Jim uh, uh, wins the point. Uh, I believe this is the first split decision of the... Or no, it wasn't. The last one was split as well. Uh, okay, so uh, that means it is uh, two to two. We are going to the ever so lovely uh, speed round, bonus round. Uh, here's how this is going to work. We have prepared a question. Uh, we are going to ask the question. I'm going to say the question twice. After I have said the question twice, the competitors can answer. Whoever I hear first will be going first. You have 45 seconds to open your argument, 30 seconds to close it. Um, you can do whatever you would like with your time. Talk about whatever you would like. So uh, are the competitors ready for the question? Sure. I'm not going to say sky high this time, so I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking bear. Okay. The question is in the category of action-adventure. And the question is... Question. The question is, what is the most fun action movie of the 2010s? Again, what is the most fun action movie of the 2010s. You can use Google if you need it. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know release dates at all. Or Bing. Well, if you say Sky High, Mission Impossible Fallout. All right, Coho will be going first. He has picked Mission Impossible Fallout. Can I use Can I use Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle? Yeah, that's an act. I would say that's an action movie. Action. That's a hundred percent an action movie. Yeah. Okay. Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. That is the first one with the rock and all of them. Correct. Yes. I don't What's know. the second one called? The next level. The next level. Okay, so we'll cut back in. Well, we don't need to cut in. This is going to be an editing nightmare. Okay, <laughs> Jim has picked Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, uh, the 2017 film. Uh, sorry, Doug. <laughs> and uh, Coho has picked Mission Impossible Fallout, uh, which was 2018, I believe. So, um, Coho, we heard you first. You are going to get to go first. 45 seconds on the clock. I'm going to stay on for this so that um, I can get the time in right away. So, 45 seconds for Coho. When... So, Coho goes first here and then second. Yes. Next. You go, he goes for 45. I go, and then you go, and I go, and then you go. He okay. goes 45, you go 45, he goes 30, you go 30. Okay. Yep. All right, so Coho, you have 45 seconds whenever you start talking. 
Mission Impossible Fallout does something that most action movies can't do, and that's put you right in the center of the action where you feel like you are a part of the action. Through every single stunt, when they're jumping out of the plane, when Tom Cruise can't see and he's falling, when they're on the mountain with the helicopter, all the stunts, the bathroom fight, it feels like you are put directly in the middle of the action with a bunch of characters that you really enjoy and a story that ties the entire franchise back together in a really fun and unique way. It's the most rewatchable action movie where you can you know what happens, but the plot is so fun to keep watching. The stunts feels like you're riding a roller coaster and, on, and this giant thrill ride over and over and over. Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle is like every other blockbuster. It feels like I could watch any movie and get Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle's experience. Uh, the only thing that you have that other action movies don't is that Robin Williams' character's name is carved into a tree. Good for you. It's every other action movie follows unique. One time. All right, Jim, 45 seconds when you start talking. Uh, I think uh, with Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, this was a movie that uh, from the start everyone thought was going to be a load of horseshit. Uh, terrible movie that ended up being great because Dwayne Johnson, who uh, is guilty of giving basically the same performance like Sandra Bullock in a bunch of movies. She just, he just does the same thing in every single movie. Uh, but this movie, it actually works of him discovering his muscles because the, especially in so Kevin Hart, he does the same thing in every movie. Jack Black does give a good performance here. Uh, that, but the key word here is fun. Caleb Coho's uh, pick of Mission Impossible Fallout is fun if you like like high end action movies and you're into the Mission Impossible franchise. Well, Jumanji, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. Anybody can pick it up and then just have fun for two hours. Time. Coho, thirty seconds when you start talking. Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle is the same thing I can get out of watching Rampage. I could watch any Dwayne the Rock Johnson movie, Skyscraper. I could watch Hobbs and Shaw. There are so many other movies that The Rock has done that are more fun than Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle that are more high octane and also just more enjoyable in a, any more situation than Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. Fallout provides me a unique experience. Even if you don't like Mission Impossible movies, you can still love this one. There's a reason why this is the highest rated one because everyone went into this and enjoyed the experience four, because they felt like three, they were putting the action with fun characters. Three, Yours one, is no different from another time. one. Jim, 30 seconds when you start talking. I think Caleb Coho's uh, main point is that Mission Impossible Fallout is fun, is a fun action, uh, specifically like if you like action movies. My Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle is fun if you just like if if you just like movies. Dwayne uh, Dwayne Johnson does give the same kind of performance in Rampage and Skyscraper, except this time it actually works and is fun. Those two movies aren't as good, uh, and this one has the benefit of also having Kevin Hart give a good performance and Jack Black give a good performance with those two are comedic actors, and then you also get Karen Gillan. This is fun for anybody, whereas Mission impossible is Time. good for if you like high-end action strike those last couple words from jimothy green okay um let's bring in the judges and then the competitors guys uh nick was the deciding good job, good job, i love you i love you too no matter how this goes this is fun this was a great match this is a great match um this is a great one to start this next little uh run in the season oh um, let me, know when, let me know when everyone's voting. Uh, in the meantime, uh, yeah, like I said, this match uh, so far has been, as a host, been great. Um, I know Jim's tired, but... <laughs> I, I'm tired, too. I feel he, it. He, he made it through, and Coho as well. All right. Okay, I'll just vote. Okay, so um, we are going to start with 
Nick, since he was the deciding vote last time. Cool. Um, I disagree wholeheartedly with Coho's use of the word unique. However, uh, that was never countered at any point uh, by Jim Green. And Jim told me a lot about why Welcome to the Jungle defied its own expectations. Um, told me about how, who's in it. Um, Coho sold me on the fact that you are put in the middle of the action, that the stunts make you feel like you're on a roller coaster. But to me, contributed more to the idea of fun in the movie. Jim just said that if you like movies, you'll like this more, but I didn't really hear anything specific as to why. So my point goes to Okay, we're going to go to Doug next. Uh, I liked Jim's argument about how if you like action movies, it's fun for you in that part, but if you just want to have a fun ride, this is fun for everybody. That was a key argument that I didn't hear countered, um, that it's kind of fun for everybody. Uh, so I went Jim. Okay, Cody. <laughs> Cody, you are the deciding vote. Uh, this is how I lose. <laughs> Cody, mad at me today. Cody, you get to go. You are the deciding vote. What's your thought? I think Coho fought shitty in the main round, but I think Coho fought better in the main. I go Coho. Uh, right. Basically, the, the counterpoints, I didn't hear enough to counter it. Um, and if, if Jim wouldn't have used, like, Rock does a good performance in this one, uh, and they do good performances. I wanted like the fun. He could have won. He sold me at fun. It just didn't go that way. All right. So with that, your winner is Caleb Coho, um, getting his uh, next or his another win on his belt. So uh, we will talk to Mr. Coho right away. Coho, you won in the final question. Uh, how are you feeling? Uh, rusty. Uh, it's been a minute. Uh, it's it shown through in my fights tonight. I was not as polished. Uh, I was not as I was not where I have been, uh, and it didn't help when we did this uh, at all. Uh, I did not. I did not have the time to to fully put all my attention into it. Uh, whoever I fight next, prepare for a much better fight uh, and a much better fighter. You're not gonna get this chance again. Uh, but Jim took me to my absolute limit. He, I've said this before. Jim's a great debater. He's really good at making you angry. Uh, yeah. he's, he's got that, like, he can just piss you right the fuck off. Uh, so well. Um, but I'm, I'm glad I won. Uh, and, uh, I'm ready for whoever I fight next. Yeah, you are actually going to be. So this, this little mini, uh, run that we're doing here, it's, uh, four people that haven't played in a while, haven't gotten their, uh, shot in a minute. So you are actually going to be playing the winner of Nazario Montenegro and Jacoby Bancroft. So you're going to be playing either Jacoby or Nazario. How are you feeling about them? Scared. Nazario is really, really... is. If there's anyone who is as good at spitting absolute bullshit as me, it's Nazario Montenegro. Uh, the dude and I have debated so many times, and it's gone so many different ways. Uh, it's He's, he's going to be tough. But also Jacoby is honestly the scariest fighter too because he has something that a lot of fighters uh just don't use and that's just pure childlike honesty in picking your answers and your opinions and he doesn't treat it like a game he treats it like an actual like just let's have a conversation about film it's like fighting paddington bear and it's so hard to do uh so i'm honestly scared of both of them uh we'll see how it goes uh but if you pick the mummy again if this guy picks the mummy against me i'll drop that motherfucker in a heartbeat 
Okie dokie. All right. Well, let's move over to Mr. Jim. Jim, you came very, very close to winning this one. Uh, what are your uh, thoughts on the match overall and how you played? Uh, well, uh, I mean, outside of going uh, earlier today, just going and looking at the specific timestamps on uh, A Christmas Story. And, uh, you know, I put in some prep on the, the Star Trek um yeah, but, you know, I haven't seen them, so I did my best. Uh, but I knew once I got to just pick a Christmas story and the Santa Claus that I've seen just like a hundred times together, like I was like, uh, I, I, I'll try and steal those two from Coho and then see what I can do. Uh, and Cody, Cody kind of got what I was going for in the, the Oscar question of I'm just going to make Coho not even talk about the actual question because I didn't prep for that. And everyone knows I'm fucking terrible at Oscars. So I just did. I did my best. And, you know, it's. It is late. Uh, I kind of, I, you know, like I said earlier when we started, I messed up the the uh, recording on Sunday. I messed up that time, um, and so I was like, Wednesday, we're gonna do it. I'll I'll stay up late to do it, and it is late, and I am very tired, and I want to go to bed. Uh, but you know, I don't want to. I don't want to be like, oh, I'm tired, so that's why Coho beat me. You know, Coho Coho is uh, is a good. Uh, he's a master debater, um, and you know. So he's he's just really great at this, and uh, it, it never hurts to just like lose to somebody that's really great at it in like you know split decision on the on the sudden death question. So it's yeah. what I did against you when it I is. picked Sky High, which was a terrible choice. And I picked Pirates. Uh, so uh, Jim, was that uh, 2003 with Johnny Depp? I heard that's a good performance. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so Jim, uh, this does mean that uh, you're out of this for the rest of the season. But yep. starting uh, the beginning of next season, we will be doing a big 16-person uh, tournament uh, where you would probably be in there based on the oh, seedings. Yeah, it's based on the uh, <laughs> seedings. You will more than likely be in that tournament. Is there anybody that is on the roster that you know of that you would like to debate or maybe haven't debated before that you want to? Um, I'm not sure because, you know, Caleb Coho would have been up there. Of I, I would like to debate Coho because it's Coho. Um, I don't want to debate Cody. Fuck that. Uh, but outside of that, I'll just, you know, you just ring that debate bell. And I'll come. I'll come uh, eat that debate supper. So, <laughs> okay, sounds good. Thanks, Southernisms. <laughs> Cody, thoughts on the match? Uh, this is why I can't believe it's so long ago that we used to do this with one judge. Um, uh, <laughs> in my eye, in my eyes, Jim won. Jim won before we even went. I thought he won three questions. I thought, uh, but that's the whole thing. You get different judges that vote on different things, and that's what uh, I didn't expect the performance from, from Jim. And pretty much, I judge that I make the people pay for the when they're supposed to be good and they have time to prep and then they shit the bed, you're not going to win the point if you don't argue the question. So, um, But uh, I think Cole's a really good player if he gets out of his own head and doesn't just spew bullshit for you know seven minutes each round. I think he's got really, a really good talent. Uh, but him versus Nazari or Jacoby is going to be... I'm sick, actually. I have plans out of town. I have something going on that day. So, Gotcha. Fair enough. enough. Uh, uh, Doug, your final thoughts. Uh, we just watched Marriage Story, guys. It's okay. We'll emotionally deal with it in our own ways. No, this Squid is a great whale. match. <laughs> uh, no, it's pretty late here. I'm tired. Uh, yeah, let's let's wrap this up. Nick, any thoughts from you? 
Uh, Jim likes Christmas. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, we're getting close to the season. Um, and yes, Coho, uh, I agree with his own head thing. If he can get out of it, he'll, he'll be very dangerous. Um, and Cody and I are actually hanging out um, when he was talking about those plans. So I will also not go. <coughs> we're sick. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, guys. Well, uh, I can't judge it, so someone's got to be there. Okay, guys. Uh, thank you Brooklyn! for being here for another episode of Fan Zone. Uh, we will be back in two weeks' time with another match. We will be seeing Doug Castle is actually stepping into the ring again, taking on Caleb Lil Boat Boatman. So we will see that in two weeks' time. That is for seeding for the tournament next season. So we will see that very soon. Guys, thank you so much for being here. For Jim and Caleb and the judges, Doug, Cody, and Nick, myself, thank you so much. Peace out. Get a Michelob Ultra. Michelob Ultra Tuscan Orange Grapefruit. My God, America is imploding. <laughs>